What's with all these badass women in movies and TV who still need to be rescued by men? Or the ones who can defeat armies of muscle-bound henchmen barehanded, but have to do it in skin-tight suits and high heels? And what's up with those badass women who never wanted or needed a man until our suave hero sexed her up, and then she dies? Welcome to the Outrider Podcast's seven-part series, Problematic Badass Female Tropes. I'm your host, Jason Quinn Malott, and I'll be talking with the writer, performer, and all-around badass who identified these tropes, my friend, Jen Zukowski. So strap on some pasties and a merkin, and let's do this thing. So here we are for uh, episode four of Problematic Badass Female Tropes, and this time um is the Ooh. meaning of his life i don't have a snappy name for it this one this week i just i've, I've been trying you know what i bet we're gonna come up with one i bet by the time we're done talking today <laughs> some weird thing will come up i mean we had two last time so yeah you know yeah, we had a whole <laughs> smattering of them last time <laughs> make up for it this time <laughs> <sighs> so okay so the the meaning of his life trope um, do you want me to summarize it again real quick or do you want I to take like it? That. I... Yeah, go ahead and tell me what you think it is and I'll correct okay. you if you're wrong. <laughs> so basically what it is, is you, you have a, you have a badass woman who does badass things, but as soon as the, the male hero, you know, gets the thing that he's supposed to get, she's useless and goes away. Yeah. Well, that's her only purpose the entire is time. To get, yeah. Is to get the, and that was the thing. This one, I, I was as I was reading through it, I did not have any problems with it at all, except that um, I don't know that Arwen needed to be a subtrope. I think she fits pretty well right into the main one. Oh, that's it, it's definitely a meaning of his life kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's sort of a medieval version of that. It's the sort of like lofty lady love on the uh -huh, pedestal. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I just like that I called something an Arwen syndrome. I just think that's so great. <laughs> that's bugged me for so long. A lot of these tropes I've come up with because stuff from the things that I've loved growing up uh -huh. that that's otherwise great literature or great, you know, entertainment of some kind just bugged the shit up. Like the Marion thing. I was like, this right. is bugging me. And I'm not sure exactly why. It only took writing about it for me to actually pinpoint what it is that was bugging me so much about it. So. Anyway, so yeah, so yeah, you nailed it. That's of course. <laughs> that's good. I would add that it's it's the badass character version of the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, I was looking at that because you know I was very curious about uh, about that that type of stuff. So of course I went to our our, our source material site, the tvtropes.org oh, website. Oh yes, that's um, a great site. You know and. I was very, very curious to read about, you know, the, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl, which I had read, you know, with, uh, what's his name, Nathan Rabin's article all those years oh, ago. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I understand the problem with the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing. But, you know, there's some, there's some. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're a Manic <laughs> Pixie Dream Cat now. Hey, you're not the, you're not the meaning of our life, little kitty cat. <laughs> she's like you are wrong you're absolutely wrong about that i am the meaning of his life she is the center of the universe <laughs> which is probably why the white one is such a demon she's like fuck you pay attention to me <laughs> so anyway um i don't know there was to me it seemed like you know the the manic picture dream girl you know goes back you know centuries that idea you know, oh, the, sure. uh, the free spirited woman that comes along and, and saves the, the moribund, you know, yeah. bag hero, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, it's a long and, and uh, venerable tradition, especially in literary fiction. Right, right. <laughs> but it seemed that that Rabin's article, and I'm kind of glad he distanced himself from it, you know, later on, almost seemed like he was just pissed off at Natalie Portman and... Um, who was that actress that did was it, was it in Elizabethtown with? Uh, oh, I don't know. Because that was like the Ur movie that set him off. Elizabethtown was the one that set him off. Oh right. Mm -hmm. um, but he it also was, kind it of. It was the Ur. It was the medic. It was the Ur. <laughs> right. That was the that, that Elizabethtown movie. It had it had Legolas in it. 
And, right, yeah, Orlando Bloom. And what the hell was her name? I can't remember her name. Anyway, I should have looked it up here when I was... But it also seemed like he was kind of also just going after Natalie Portman, um, mm-hmm. you know, because of particularly um, that one with... Uh, Oh, you are woefully on IMDb'd right now, aren't you? <laughs> well, it's, it's, dude, it's been this whole thing lately. Like, I was struggling to remember <sighs> fucking FDR. I was struggling to remember Roosevelt the other day. I think oh, I'm wow. losing. I'm the memory's gone. I'm just and maybe I'm just drinking too much. And you're lo- <laughs> you're losing your mind and your heart on. Uh, so, God, what do you do? Drink some wine. Yeah, drink some wine. Um, sip some wine. What was that movie that? Garden State. Duh. Oh, yeah, Garden State. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right, right. Yep. And, but, you know, but it's, that doesn't, but Garden State doesn't really fit with the manic pixie dream girl trope. Not entirely, because she doesn't go away at this, at this thing. No, but her, her entire function, though, is to change his life. She has no other function besides that. Mm. And that's, that's really the center of what the manic pixie dream girl is. Although, right. I, I would say that this, the, the, the meaning of his life trope character is even see how I'm bringing us back. I'm bringing us back. I'm bringing us well, back. That's your trope. You got to explain um, it. <laughs> it's more unfair because it, it's like the, because the character is such a badass. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it's right. it's this bait and switch aspect of this trope is more unfair than the manic pixie dream girl because it's like, Oh, she's so strong. She's so awesome. Oh, well, she's right. not really, she's just colored that way so that we can understand why that dude is, why Mr. Douche Nozzle was in love with her. Like we get that's why, but right. that's the only reason why she, it's like, it's like she's being painted a mm-hmm. color called badass instead of actually being an interesting character. And I, I mean, in the, in the, I use Padme Amidala in the star Wars prequels as a, an example of my article. And she's like, she's fucking killed when she's right. done doing what she, her function is, which is only to, change Anakin and give us Luke and Leia and and give us Luke and Leia. Well, the minute she does that, she's dead. Gone. That's it. She has yeah. no further purpose. She never had a purpose. So that's the thing. Like when you see at the end, it's like, Oh man, why'd she have to die? She was such an awesome character. Well, no, she wasn't. She was a device, not a character. Yep. And I was particularly, well, that was the thing. And, and, you know, I hate to, I hate to bag on poor Hayden Christensen. Cause he's, I don't, let's do well, the poor guy. He like he dropped out of show business because all the Star Wars nerds, like all the neckbeards, were like, "This guy sucks." And it's like, and, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is for uh, even experienced actors to act in front of a green screen, and you got well, this that, kid trying to that, do it. Plus, l- listen to that fucking script they gave oh, I know. him. I, mean, I know. Poor kid. Yeah. And he sucked, but poor kid. Well. <laughs> Even to a certain extent, Natalie Portman sucked in that. You know, it's Every, like yeah, a, oh yeah, her everybody stupid kind of dual accent thing. Yeah. Everybody kind of sucked in 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 the in the prequels. Well, kind allow of. me to allow me to to brave the neckbeards myself on online, but they don't listen to the, me. The old, hated... <laughs> the old trilogy scripts really kind of suck ass as well. So true, they're, <laughs> it's not they're a little weak, you know, but whatever. I love them, but. Ah, Star Wars, I was, love you. It was particularly either, you know, of course, I think part of it, it was the script, a big, 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 huge, like 90% of it was the script. The other 10% was the fact that little Hayden Christensen did not have either the, the skill or the knowledge to challenge the director in the action or do something with, with that script to give Anakin the appearance of any kind of likability. Because you're absolutely right in this article. There, Some kind you, of depth, yeah. You look at you look at Anakin. It's like, why the fuck would this woman fall in love with him? Yeah, there's why? no reason. None. Why? None. Nope. She wouldn't. None that's at why. All. She would not. And that's what because I think he's makes, a Jedi. Because, Jedi yeah, and that's what that's what makes your your this example of of that trope particularly um, using Padme as the as the example of the trope is particularly egregious. Now, I've never read the Lord of the Rings stuff, so I don't know you know, anything really about Arwen except what I've seen in the movie. Yeah, they gave a lot more to but, her in the movie, but actually it really emphasized the fact that that's what she is, is the meaning right, of his life. Right. Like, just the fact that they they scrambled so much to give Arwen more to do, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
they, they basically just took a couple of one-off male elf characters that we encounter along that long journey and they just gave it to her instead right. of having it be, you know, one like one night stand Glorfindel or whatever. Sure. So they just gave and it to her instead, which is easy. That's, you know, I would have done that too, but right. it, it, it also just emphasized how useless she is, except as a catalyst for Aragorn right. and his stuff. Right. But, but at least with Aragorn, you get some sense of why she might love him. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's actually, absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know, heroic and gallant and brave and, and, you know, even though he's immortal and she's not, but you know, right. But yes, no, we do get a little bit more of a sort of an equal footing, but the thing is we don't get to know her. Right. And in the the book, she doesn't do anything. She's literally given by Galadriel as a prize to Mm -hmm. Aragorn. I mean, we, we know from the appendices and from other things that he says throughout the story that they have met and they're in love already. And they're kind of like promised to each other kind of thing. Right. But she doesn't, do anything. It's this kind of sort of old tradition, though, from like medieval troubadourship. Yep. That kind of thing, like the the knight singing songs about mm-hmm. his lady love and you know tying her ribbon on his lance to go do her deeds, and she doesn't. She just sits there and this. Oh, the closest she gets is to sit in the stands and watch him do his tournaments, kind of thing. Right. But yeah, she doesn't really do anything except to give him. It's almost like a like a reverse fridging sort of thing. It's like her existence is to spur him to heroics. Right. But that's the only reason why she exists. We just we just avoid killing her. Yeah, we just don't kill her until the end. Until she's she's you know had the twins, then she's right done. Useless. That one instant. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, and I also look and and see. I, I was actually talking with both my editor and my partner about that particular example, and that uh-huh. look at how Padme turns so simpering and like the minute she gets pregnant she's useless the minute she actually marries um anakin she's pretty useless yeah she's only a badass when we were first getting to know her when we were first like like anakin trying to court her kind of thing once she's possessed once she's married and and basically owned by him then she she has no more badassness left at all she's she barely appears she does nothing right she has no strength anymore. And it really is kind of disturbing that, that that mode really informs real life gender roles more than any of the previous mm-hmm. tropes we've seen so far. I mean, you know, college, women used to go to college not for a BA or a BS, but for their MRS. Some still oh, do. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? They go in and they do this major. They they do this. They do this stuff. They yeah. have some interest. They meet a guy who, you know, because of our our gendered our, our particular gender role situation, you know, is is usually is going to be in a major or something like that who is going to earn more money. Mm-hmm. Yep. And well, it's nice to have a little woman at home who has a brain. You know, someone you can actually talk to. About well, things, but that it's is, not that that is unironically true. It's nice to have someone no, at home, but 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 they should they <laughs> yeah. should also have a life outside of the fucking home, mm-hmm. right? Not yeah, <clears throat> yeah. No, you're right. This is this is actually one of the one of the seven tropes. There's a couple of them I think that do this more than the others, but this is one of them that's like it kind of informs our social structure. It kind of informs our our culture and our it informs our gender norms a little bit disturbingly, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, this like I said, this like, is the like, first one of ours of the of the seven of the well the ones we've talked about so far. This is the one that really kind of has the most direct um, correlation to current gender roles. Do you think that's because it it this we see this so often and it directly influences the mm-hmm. way people young people think they need to be acting. Well, in, until well, in, in fact, until the '80s, this was kind of the thing. Women would have interesting lives prior to getting married, and then right, right. once they got married, it was just the home and the kids, you know. And and women that yeah. did not do that were 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 extraordinary. Were different. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, for one, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And but the Bless majority of women, yeah, the majority <laughs> of women though kind of disappeared the way mm-hmm. the way Padme does in this trope. And right. disappear into the marriage, into the house, into the kids. And right. and it wasn't until, you know, like I said, the 80s when we started 
you know, because of the Reagan tax policies, voodoo economics and everything like that, we actually needed to have dual incomes to, for, a, for a family to survive. Oh, that's, that's when, interesting. And that's when that gender role of the, you know, the man is the breadwinner, the woman stays at home and cares for the That's really when that began to break down. Yeah. So it wasn't until that, we were in you, our. You, you think know, it was pre- really then, or do you think it had something to do? I mean, I would say the sexual revolution of the late '60s, early '70s, maybe the well, civil rights that, stuff. That started. That started the uh, the questioning of the mode, uh-huh. but it didn't. But at the, but before the '80s, no one was forced to deviate from the tra- the traditional gender stereotypes. No one was just forced to, to do it until the eighties, just to survive. The oh, women who the I women see. who could violate the gender roles had the privilege to do it. I see. I see. That's right? an interesting because they had a, a husband or a situation or an economic career, an education. They stuck with the education long enough that they could do something with it. Mm-hmm. Right, and so or there was, and so when you would, <laughs> right, and so that was that's like so, you know. Let's take the uh, the Ginsburgs for in particular. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, love her. She's fantastic. But because of the situation she was in, she was able to finish her law degree, go in and practice law. Her husband was a practicing lawyer as well. And that was an oddity prior yeah, to the eighties, mm-hmm. right? Most women that would go into an education, you know, did not have that drive. She would have met her husband and just wandered off into the family thing. And Ruth was like, nope. And did her and continued to do her thing, but she had the privilege to do it because they had one not privilege, but also the 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 um, she had the background and and the the upbringing to do it. She was she was pushed into challenging it. You know, did you uh-huh. see the, her her biopic that they did recently? I didn't see the the movie. No, really, I heard good. really good things about Check it. it yeah, um, but so like my mother, for one. She had an she has an associate's degree in communications that she got after high school, but that was as far as she went with her education because she mm-hmm. married my dad and disappeared into the house. Yeah, my mom did the same thing, but then she went back to college when I went to college. And then and then the and then so throughout the seventies, my mom was a stay at home mom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. And that was by choice. There was also a gender role thing. She didn't think to challenge it. The eighties, my you know, my sister was born in seventy six. My mom was mm-hmm. still a stay-at-home mom with two kids. It wasn't until the early 80s that my mom was forced back into the, into the workforce because you know, economically it was becoming right, harder and right. harder for my dad to, uh, to be able to support a family of four. Well, like well I, guess, I guess in the 70s too, it was, still, it was still like a normal thing to expect a woman when mm-hmm. she got married or when she got pregnant to quit her job. Like that was right. just kind of a normal thing like you'd hire your secretary but then like she wouldn't work while she was pregnant like it, she would just leave if she got like she just wouldn't have a. it was just no normal thing to expect and there wasn't there wasn't and so it wasn't i don't remember when maternity leave type of stuff was passed exactly as far as a, as a mandated thing but it wasn't that big of a deal for my mom. I think it was scarily recent i think that, that i don't know when the years right were that were that when that happened, but I think happened. I don't know. I think it was like really kind of surprisingly recent, but yeah. Again, I, I am not very well researched on this right now. I've been researching and, this. This is interesting. But and so, and to, so to connect that with this trope, that's really fascinating. So this whole, like, do you think that this stru- social structure had to do with showing this this trope on screen and in our books, or do you think it's the other way around? Well, or do you I think, I it's think, kind of, I th- I think I think that in a, in an era where you had okay there were there there are a couple of things going on I think from the socialist side of it right now prior to the 80s there were some good things and some bad things with traditional gender roles as there always are there's you've got to take the good with the bad for anything like this it's it's good to have a parent one or both with the kids all the time because you uh-huh, and I yeah. The reason we were latchkey kids in the 80s because our mothers were going back to work and there was not a, a daycare type of infrastructure really in place. Mm-hmm. Not as robust as there is now. There wasn't a 
we were more free range. We, 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 yeah, we were very free range. But, you know, when I was younger, before the, before my mom went back to work, you know, when I grew up, yes, my dad was always away. That was a drawback. Traditional gender roles. Why couldn't my mother have been the breadwinner? Well, at the time, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't important to educate women that well. Men got the jobs and the education and they did whatever. And but then again, on the other hand, that did provide some of that home stability that you don't mm-hmm. have when both parents are working. So, you know, that's the whole thing is that so this trope in and of itself, if you if you strip the gender out of it, mm-hmm. where one person, you know, how it ties back to this is where one person is, a, is the heroic breadwinner outside of the house. And the other one mm-hmm. is the domestic, you know, just concerned about the family thing that provides a certain amount of balance and stability. Now, gender roles come in and they say, well, the, men has, the man has to be the hero, hero. The woman has to be the, you know, the, the homemaker, mm-hmm. you know, and that's it. And that's bad. That's restrictive. That's. I think, I think one thing that, that, that's the damaging thing about the trope, though, is that it's, it's, it's as though the, the female badass just isn't really a character. She's a device. She's not even doesn't even have an important role like taking care of a home, which is a big job. It's not even like that. It's like, it's like, she's just there mm-hmm. to, to give the male hero a, an internal change or to, to teach him something about life or to, right. to, to, to allow him to believe in himself or something like that. But she's not even, she's not even taking a role like homemaker. It's not even, it's not even that it's like, she doesn't exist except to inspire him and she doesn't exist in any other way. Right. And I think that's, what's insidious about it is where it's kind of where I was think I was going is that with this trope, what you have is it's, it's, it's hearkening back to that prior mm. setup and punishing the woman for being modern of this era So here's Padme, who's a badass. You know, she's a queen. She's a diplomat. She's a warrior. She's a politician. You know, she's fucking cool. Yeah. And then and then she gets married and she dies. Yeah, basically. Why? Because (laughs) because because in this in this held up to the mirror of our current status, where we where both men and women have to work in order to survive, because in, in income inequality and all this stuff has has completely destroyed the the practical as the practical ability to adhere to classic gender roles, but at the same time still demands classic gender roles. Mm-hmm. And so this particular trope is is sitting there, you know, kind of um, almost trying to to push back and say you sh- women just she you know if padme hadn't been a badass if she just had the kids she'd still be alive <laughs> maybe right? although like once she has the kids she dies right they had to kill her for being a badass and trying to be a mom yeah it's, al- it's almost like it's almost like she's being punished for being so awesome right yeah or the arwen get- syndrome subtrope is more like we don't really get that she's a bad. I mean, she she doesn't really have anything badass necessarily that we know about because mm-hmm. she's so absent. I mean, right. she has a lot of very lovely physical beauty that we get to hear about from the male hero, but like we don't really we know much less about her. She's much more absent the whole time. Yep. At least in the movie, we get Liv Tyler, which you know I like. <laughs> hey, you know. Everyone's got as a as as a bi woman. I am saying that <laughs> Liv Tyler, Vigo Mortensen. I say yes, and I say yes. So yes. Okay. <laughs> I yeah okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a particular soft spot for Natalie Ooh. Portman. I always have. Oh, she's lovely, and I don't like her weird little accent that she tried to do as the queen, and I don't know whatever. Yeah. Still, I, I, I have uh, I have myriad problems with the prequels, though, so we can just go ahead and have another entire podcast about that. So. Well, you know, <laughs> with me, it's like if somebody says we're going to watch a Natalie Portman movie, I go, when can we watch it twice? <laughs> <laughs> which one? And uh, can we watch which one? Them? Does it matter? <laughs> no, doesn't matter which one it is. Nope. Just that's fine. Natalie Portman. Cool. Yeah, I like to look yep. at her. <laughs> that's fine. Nothing wrong with that either. And like I always say in these articles too, it's like there's nothing wrong with loving these movies. Although I I would question your loving the prequels, but I'm not, you know what? 
it's fine. You do you. You do you. But as long as we look at this stuff and see what it's doing to us, do you know what I mean? Like, like what is this saying to, especially like someone like me who grew, grew up as a sort of sort of tomboy and then a goth and like trying mm-hmm. to like being kind of confused about what being a badass woman even was <laughs> necessarily. Right, right. And so like being so spoon fed this kind of stuff over and over again and yep. It just, it's so, it's so ingrained and it's almost like we don't even know we're structuring our lives around these tropes sometimes. So that's just, it's just important to kind of open your eyes and be like, okay, so I see this for what it is. This is a problem. And okay, well, good. Now I know, knowing it's half the battle, G.I. Joe. And so (laughs) we can then move on hopefully from there and, and demand, demand better in the future, but not, you know. Let's, right. let's, do, let's, let's still love Natalie Portman because right, right. why not? So I was, I was <laughs> thinking, I was thinking and I was trying to think and, and, and trying to come up with other examples of, of the meaning of, meaning his, of life. his life. Who else fits it besides Arwen and, and Padme? I mean, we could, we could go, we could go back to the, the, the spawning trope of it, but it doesn't really fit the manic pixie dream girl, you know, the, uh, um, that's sort of the, the non badass character version of it. Right. Which, which of course, according to, uh, TV tropes is the, the manic pixie dream girl that comes out of the blithe spirit trope. Oh, the blithe spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you know, we could also pair up the, uh, um, the meaning of, of his life trope with the uh, hyper-competent sidekick trope. Sort of, except she's not even a sidekick. She's just a device. She's just there to inspire the hero. She doesn't help him, really. Right, but but when, when Padme is a badass, she is the hyper-competent, you know, she does have some relation to the hyper-competent sidekick because she is more, mm-hmm. she's not a Jedi, but she's more of a badass than Anakin. God, yeah. Right? Jeez. No shit, right? She is, but, but since she's not the central character, she's not Darth right. Vader, or not yeah, going to be Darth Vader. She is more of a sidekicky type of character. She's a that, pivotal character, but not a, yeah. Right. So that's, she does fall, so fall into that hyper-competent sidekick thing. Yeah, for, for part of uh, episode two, especially, she does, because she kind of fights by their side a little bit. Yep. But she doesn't really even rise to the level of sidekick, even. But yeah, she does for some some of that movie, I would say, especially that that arena scene that I described in the mm-hmm. article. Yeah, especially that. What's one. what's that movie? Um, Le- Legend, Legend, Legendary, with Tom Hardy as the badass twin brothers that are horrible gangsters and kill everybody and get into fights. There's this. There's a there's a meaning of his life character in that one. You don't mean the Boondock Saints? No, no. It's very Boondock Saints esque. And mm. now my partner's listening to this. He's like yelling at. at. <laughs> what does he say? It is. He's he's yelling the title of this movie at his phone right now, listening to this, and I can't think of it. See, we're woefully oh. under IMDb right now in this episode. Yeah. It's so terrible. You know what? Hey, listeners, we're not doing any fucking research right now, okay? You all look well, this Why up. should we do any research? What the fuck is research? I did all the research for the article, but I wrote it. Go read the article. I think it's called Legend or Legendary. Tom Hardy. But but there is there is a character that's very, very like this. And she's not... She's a badass in that she, her, she, her personality is very yeah, badass. Yeah, it's just called Legend, apparently. Legend, Okay. See, I was right the first time. I should just trust my which, brain. Which, when you first said it, I was thinking, what, that Tom Cruise fantasy movie that everybody hates from back in the uh, oh, 80s? Oh, God. Everyone hates it? I thought people liked that one. I never saw it. Oh, you didn't? <gasps> no. All the more reason for you to come visit me, because I have it on DVD. Oh, oh good Lord. You're such a nerd. That's great. Yeah. Oh, people... Anyway, there's a character like that in that one. In that Tom Hardy movie? Yeah, the um, the the love interest is exactly this trope. She's not a warrior type, and it's not a it's not a geek culture mm-hmm. type movie, but um, she is a she is this trope for sure. Oh, the hyper competent sidekick. No, the um, the meaning of his life. Oh, oh, oh. 
And that's that, that's the first one that popped into my head when you're like, who else besides Padme and Arwen are these characters? Well, I mean, if you look at just the, like I said, the old venerable tradition of the troubadour, mm -hmm. the, the sort of knight in shining armor type of old tales, there's always an Arwen in those right, right. stories. I mean, that's actually, actually literally where the whole Arwen-Aragorn thing is from. Mm -hmm. It's from like the Mabinogian and all the old old sort of like pre-swashbuckling kind of stories. But those don't tend to rise to badassery, those women. Now, Arwen in the movies sort of does because she has the whole yeah. ride with, with Frodo. And, you know. I think that's probably why I made that a subtrope is because those women are so not present that we don't really get to see their badassery necessarily. Right. Do you know what I mean? I right, think that's right. why I actually made that a subtrope. Because you were saying, like, maybe it's not even a subtrope. Maybe that's just part of the main one. But I think that because of the particular badassery I'm trying to talk about, mm -hmm. that that's why I decided it was a sub as okay. opposed to a dom. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Dominatrix. So I'm trying to think of other ones. You're the one who, like isn't the geek culture dude. So like what can you think of more? Well, don't they kind of do something like this with the Jinx character from one of the Bond movies that Halle Berry played? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. In fact, I mean, a lot of Bond girls a... are like that. Well, a lot of the Bond girls are just there. Well, they're, they represent number seven. I'm only here for my vagina. Well, sometimes. I mean, we'll get to that one when we talk about that one. We'll get to the specifics. But there, most of the Bond girls really don't even – Pussy Galore is unique, which is why she gets a trope. But like um, – If it's a Bond girl, that is badass. Goodnight doesn't really fit as a badass. Um, um, you know, Jinx does. She's a she, she's a, good night, a badass. Goodnight should because of her position. Not her sexual position, but her. <laughs> <laughs> when, yeah, whenever you're talking about Bond, you have to you have to understand that pretty much anything you say about Bond will have a have a slight double entendre to it, right? Touch, touch me there again, you'll have to marry me. <laughs> like, uh, what's her face? Um, who is the sister of the painted gold chick in Goldfinger? Um, okay, Tilly. Yeah, I think I think any Bond girl that is badass when we first meet her definitely falls under this because she she like 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 any Bond girl, like most Bond girls are disposable. Like she does not last long at all. She lasts as long as her. Um, right. As her you know, sort of existence. But and but that the thing is, about Bond girls, Jones is a, one of these. No, she can't be. She's the bad guy, though. Or no, she she's turns. A, she's a villain. No, she starts off as a villain, but. She turns into yeah. This is part of the um, part of the only care for my vagina trope. But I but I would say the really Bond Grace girls, Jones character fits into that one. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, she does have that that. Ooh, yeah. She we're, has it. We're oh, getting ahead well, of Bond ourselves. Kissed, but so Bond kissed me. So of course I love it because it's Bond. He has the magical power of the Bond hero. That now I'm totally a now I'm a, a wilting flower under his... But what I would say about the Bond girl thing, though, in particular, is that they they sort of fall under this. The badass ones do. Mm -hmm. Like the like maybe the... Um, I was thinking that... Oh, what's one of the Pierce Brosnan? And she's on the motorcycle with him trying to get out of oh, there. Oh, Michelle Yeoh. When she, Michelle Yeoh. I don't Michelle remember the Yeoh name of her one. character, but... But I also would, would, would pause it, though, because one of the main things about the meaning of his life trope is that the badass character changes the hero. Like, they change right. his mind. Nobody changes they, Bond. Nobody, nobody changes fucking changes Bond. Bond. Nobody. I mean, they tried to a little bit when Pierce Brosnan first came on the scene because they're like, Bond is kind of horrible, so let's make him a little bit more no, like a human the, being the time that they really tried to change Bond like was Golden the first Eye. Tim Dalton movie. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. And, and I would say, too, with the... Um, uh, uh, hello... George Lazenby, oh, on Emergency Secret, Secret Service. Service, the first one of that. So, you know, she's the one, she's the badass and, you know, she changes him so much that he marries her. 
Hey, spoiler alert, by the way, listeners. <laughs> yeah, come on. If you haven't seen On Her Majesty, if you haven't seen shit. the original On Her Majesty's Secret Service with George Lazenby, then you just need to get caught up. So fuck you and your spoiler there is warnings. So <laughs> much about the, the butt, the man in the butt chin. Oh, man. Fucking Telly Savalas. So good, so good. I would say that she's an example of it because she cha- she does change Bond. Bond actually marries her. Right. The fact that Bond actually Briefly. fucking marries her, or Vesper in Casino oh, Royale. In oh, in the uh, in the um, the more recent also, ones with Daniel. I'm Craig. also thinking. I'm thinking the the books too because I've read the books. Yeah. Because I'm a nerd. I read these books when I was in fucking junior high, which is, again, what I need to bring up yet again, is that I love these books in junior high. Right. So here is me. I am 14, 15, 13, even reading these books. I'm trying to grow up into some kind of a strong woman. And I, you know, I'm reading these books. And your example is a Bond girl. (laughs) <laughs> right well you know what i'm saying like well you're so these, fucked from the start right then I mean. this is what I'm, exactly right <laughs> so like and of course i'm identifying with the dude <laughs> much more than anything else and, and even like doctor who i'm like i don't want to be the companion i want to be the fucking doctor because it's right. way more interesting so it's Absolutely. like this is why i'm i'm sort of i feel like i'm kind of doing god's work here i'm like hey look let's open our eyes Let's realize what's going on. Let's understand and see what how it affects us as real people, as real badasses of all genders. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, but anyway, I would say I would say Vesper is an example of this trope. But I don't think that most Bond girls are kind of only there for their vagina, which is number seven. So, let's do, I, do I you know think, what I mean? I because think part the, of the, I think... part of the center thing about yeah. this trope is that they change. They, they like change the life, the meaning of his life. It's like they change him. Right, they they right. make him understand himself better or they. You and know, I think they, the only Bond women that fit in with trope number seven are the ones that start off as villains. Well, a lot of them are but villains we'll talk because about you, can't, you can't have a powerful woman with powerful female sexuality without it being fucking terrifying. And there's a really fun sub trope with that one, too. But anyway, yeah, we'll talk about that at yeah. that point. <laughs> We've got a ways to go. But yeah. there's, there's, there is, as with anything, there is overlap. Oh, sure. Yeah. I would say the Marion effect overlaps with this one quite often. Yeah. Yeah. Cause definitely she does go through the whole Marion effect. At first you meet her, she's a badass. Then she gets she's married awesome. and she's nothing. She yeah. needs to be rescued and, and yep, she's, she's damsel in distress, damsel in distress. And, and you don't understand why, because fucking Anakin Skywalker's a f- douche, man. Douche <laughs> God, dude. I like yeah. my my editor actually like in her comments. You know, she uses track changes for the like the comments and uh-huh. doing the edits and stuff like that. The comments on the side of that one part of that article, because I was like, <laughs> hey, so why would a woman like as awesome as this fall in love with Anakin? No, it's not just because he's a Jedi. Just being a Jedi does not make you awesome. Sorry. Right. What's the reason? None. There's no reason. None. No reason in, in all caps. And my editor was like, I fucking love you so much right now. She's like, <laughs> she's like, thank you. Thank you. Someone said it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. There is no reason. None at all. None. None. She wouldn't. But she's not a character. She's a device. So therefore, right. So therefore, she's, she's, she's there to do that. She's and preordained to fall in love with him, no matter what kind of a douche he is. Because that's her purpose. Whether he's a, a douche nozzle, or a douche canoe, a douche kayak, <laughs> a douche bicycle. See, you were looking for a name for this one. You were looking for. <laughs> you were looking for a, a, either a silly or, or rude moniker for this episode. It's. It's, it's the douche canoe. The meaning of his douche canoe. The meaning of his douche canoe. <laughs> oh, the douche nozzle is a device. The meaning of his. The douche nozzle is not a character. It's a device. Douche canoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, the meaning of his douche canoe. That's it. We found it. We knew we would. We knew we would. The, the more we talked, the more we knew we would find it. And there it is. So there we go. <laughs> well done. <laughs> yep. 
how far along are you on your bottle of wine tonight? Oh, um, <laughs> well, I just came from a, from my brother's birthday party, so I have had a few glasses over there. So it doesn't oh, really count. So you're you're ahead of me. Yeah, so I'm only like a glass into my bottle that I have at home. Well, I don't know that I'm going to drink the whole bottle tonight, anyway. Says I was I was feeling rather kind of bloated today, and my weight is up only like a pound or two. It's all water, right? You're getting yeah. a period soon. <laughs> That's what happens to me. <laughs> right. And I'm, and I'm in, and I'm in this, <laughs> this is why I think BMI is a total bullshit thing because I'm, oh, in it this, is, yeah. I'm in this weird weight phase where like on one day I'm 189 and I'm, fine my bmi is fine i weigh 190 and i'm overweight <laughs> yeah right no exactly and you one six, pound three, shift six two six three six, six two, one six three six one oh. six one wow thanks for the extra two inches <laughs> i thought that you were six three for some reason i don't know <laughs> i only appear taller it's because of my towering ego Hair, head, yeah, because of your giant head. Yeah, it's because of your douche canoe. That's why. It's because of my douche canoe. <laughs> Actually, no, it's just I, have that a, I don't. I don't often I have feel a douche tall. Kayak. A douche kayak. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's a douche Kia. <laughs> it's a douche Subaru if you're here in Boulder. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just I I don't often feel like I'm not tall when I stand next to somebody, and I often feel like I'm not. As tall, so I just assumed that you were taller than that. That's okay. I perpetually think that I am still 12 years old. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I just, my... I mean, you have pubic hair, don't you? Well, I had <laughs> I had a few when I was 12. Anyway. Well, you, you start with it when you're 12, right? Right. We have but gone way thing. into the weeds. You know, we have gone way into the weeds. With yeah, we've, we've, we've right taken now. a deep left turn onto this speaking one. Of, speaking of pubes, we've gone into the weeds. and uh, <laughs> <laughs> The meaning of lost, his pubes. Wait lost a minute. in the bush. We're lost in the bush. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, what else do you think about this? We've, I, I think that was interesting what you were saying about like paralleling the the real world gender norms and sexism with this trope. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way. Like thinking of the economics of the whole thing. Yeah. I need to think about it a lot more, but I definitely think there is a, there's the, the insidiousness of this trope is, is just ramped up when it, when you take into account, you know, the, uh, what it's saying to people in this particular economic, uh, Mm situation that we're in these days that we've been in since the 80s mm-hmm. since the bush uh, tax cut since he slashed the uh, the marginal tax rate down to the 30s that women that women being an interesting person or being a badass is actually not really true it's just color to influence their man <laughs> well, well i think in some in some ways it's it's Like I said, I think I'm going to have to sort it out for a bit while because it's just kind of – I was sitting thinking about it all day. Sounds like another article and, actually. Um, well, that's – well, it, that's the thing is that you know we, we talk about these tropes, and I thought about this in a, in a different way when I was looking on tvtropes.org is that it seems like everything is a trope, everything. Uh-huh. They turn they turn everything. Any it's like you don't need to have a wide swath of evidence. This is why I asked you if there are other examples of this besides Padme and Arwen. Because mm-hmm. it sometimes it seems like a a thing will get a, an entry on, on you know, T V tropes and it's just what happened with one character. Oh, I see, I see. So that that does not a right. trope make. Right. Everything is a trope. Anything somebody doesn't like about the way a story is told gotcha. becomes yeah, yeah. a trope, right? No, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's problematic in and of itself. But what's also kind of come becomes problematic about that is that, when, and we've talked about this a lot in the last twenty years, is that story 
is intensely, fundamentally important to the human species. Yes. Mm -hmm. We are a storytelling animal. We, Mm -hmm. we, We think our very first science was storytelling. Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we are kind of genetically... Edward O. Wilson talked about um, dual inheritance theory or gene culture coevolution. And we have, there's not a storytelling gene, there's not a story interpreting gene, but we have throughout the millennia of human existence mm-hmm. bred for people who look for and draw meaning from stories. From stories, yeah. yeah and so if we yeah. tell ourselves, nothing but meaningless stories, then we create in the world a meaningless world. Oh, right. well said, sir. Well, uh, David Karazan said it a lot better. He, he says, you know, let us not forget that the world is created in, word, in language first and everything yes. that mm-hmm. happens in it. You know, my, my big famous, my obsessive quote. Yes, we create the world by the stories that we tell ourselves, that we tell our our our, our society and our culture, right? So right. If so if every, it's all made of if, tropes, if, then... if it's all made of tropes, and therefore, and tropes are always bad or meaningless or problematic, what then do, do is what does that tell us about ourselves as as a species? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we kind of have this approach at times that that all tropes are bad because they've been able to be classified as tropes. Well, and there's, all, there's all also sort of a, an odd, I think this stems from the early days of postmodernism, which is this sort of what I call the cult of originality, mm-hmm. which is that if it's not original, that it's not completely made up by you and there's no one else who's ever said anything like it before, right. then it's good. If it's not, oh my God. If it's, like if you, if you manage to pull that off, <laughs> there's no way, there's then, no possible then way. You're, then you are a fucking yeah. genius and everybody else should just stop. No, but I would say not. that's impossible. I would say so, it's impossible. Fuck you <laughs> to whoever that imaginary you might be that would think but that. There's, but. but there's storytelling and there's recycling stories and there's remixing and there's telling old stories over and over again. There's that. Right. And there's a trope or a, a stereotype. And that's mm-hmm. a different thing. That's a different right. monster. So some of these tropes that you're finding on TV tropes probably aren't actually tropes. They're just something that someone's like, oh, that's sexist. Hey, or, you know, something like that. What I'm trying to do with these seven tropes is actually trace something that I've seen over and over again. And that's the important thing. And when what then how we can address those tropes and, and determine, I think it would be interesting to find productive versions of these. Yeah, that was one thing I didn't... Um, not, not problematic. I've been told that need, this needs to be a book. And um, if and when it is, that is one thing that I need to then go out and do, which is I, what I did not do with these articles. The articles are focused on describing and showing examples of the trip itself. But what I would like to do is to be like, hey, so here's a character that you might think falls under this trope, but it actually doesn't. Here's, how, here's a character that has a similar story arc, but that is actually positive. That's actually really well-drawn. That's really well done. Because I think, so. I think identifying tropes is, is a great exercise at times in, in classification and, and, and order. Right, right. But unless, yes. but unless we take those tropes and link them back to society... Mm-hmm. And how they have an impact on on the everyday, right? Then right. we're not. Then we're not. Then we're failing to explain to our audience why having this discussion is important, rather than just you know intellectual jerking off. Right. Exactly. Yeah. In one of these <laughs> articles, I actually talk about my own experience mm-hmm. instead of talk instead of describing a like a character from a movie or from a TV show, I actually describe. Isn't that like the next one experience. we're talking about? Five? Uh, no, I think five is the mother knows best, right? Oh, that's right. Mother knows best. So six is the one. Yes. Six is the one. Yeah. Six is, is yours. Yes. 
So I have, I have tried to do that. And I, I, I do want to write more about this. And I think that I have to begrudgingly accept the fact that this does need to be a book instead of just seven articles, which mm-hmm. will also be, I will of course be going from my own life because that's what I know. And just saying like, here's how this has impacted me. And here is, you know, here's how, here's how having these ingrained in our very skeletons of our culture affects the real live people that are trying to grow up in the world or are trying to, you know, function in the world or whatever. So, and, and finding those mirrors and relationships kind of, and like I said, I would have yeah, to yeah. do a lot more thinking about, but I definitely sensed and feel that there is a connection between this trope and our, our transition, um, away from the sort of nuclear family kind of myth. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. not only that, the trend, not only the, the actual transition away from the nuclear family structure, but at the same time that we are forcing families to have dual incomes, we're also really hammering home the, the traditional gender stereotype that men are the breadwinners and women are the, are the stay-at-home moms. So that now we have this weird kind of feminist infighting going on. It's a conflict. It's, it's a conflict between women who who want to have a career and a family, and are guilted for not being stay-at-home moms, and then you have the women who are stay-at-home moms being guilted because they're not doing the career thing. Right, right. And and you have both sides trying to say that both is really more feminist than the other, and then you have the women who who do the stay-at-home mom thing, but but don't have but are anti-feminist and it's like Mm. and it's like oh that's great you managed to find a guy that could support you but what if you had fallen in love with a guy whose career choice could not do that and you were forced to work would you then resent him or what if or what if yeah oh yeah sure there's that or you know what about all the the myriads of single parents out there too exactly you know and like divorce is huge right it's way more common than marriage, actually. Oh, yeah. Or it's, you know, what's the, what's the statistic about? See, here I am asking for research. I haven't done any fucking research. What's a divorce statistic? It's like, is it like half all of all marriages get divorced? You ha- Yeah, at least that was the, the case in the 70s and 80s. The way I see it is that, you know, you have your articles and our discussion. This is a, a groundwork for other people to do thinking. There and go. they should do the research, right? <gasps> I mean, and write the articles. And you should sit down and write the article about the parallels of the economics and the <laughs> trope. I would love maybe. to read that. That sounds I've, really interesting. I've, I've got, I've got a, I've got my giant essay on, uh, you know, when I talked about, you know, the meaning of story to the human oh, animal. Yes. I've mm-hmm. got that that I'm, I've got to revise so that I can, it can be broken up as, as you know, standalone essays for this magazine. This friend of mine is trying to get off the ground here in town. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I want to do that um, so yeah. So see listeners, it's not about the novels to, and well, you take, you take this discussion and you, and you go <laughs> run with it. Right. That, no, yeah. that's, that's absolutely true. That is very important. And this is why I talk here with you about it. And this is why I'm talking at Denver comic con about it too. Oh, cool. When is the Denver comic con? I don't know if I'm going to be, uh, presenting there this summer yet. I have not found oh, out you, from them. You submitted um, the proposal and they haven't accepted it yet. Yeah, I think that, I, I don't know, knock on wood, I, sounds, sounds like they're interested, but I don't know. Um, but for the last year, I actually took these, it was before I wrote these articles. I had just had the one article on my own blog about just kind of the overview of all the seven. Mm-hmm. And so it was really helpful. I, I talked to the the Comic-Con people about the seven tropes. They're like, okay, um, this is all really interesting and we want to read more and so that's that's exactly the kind of thing. It's like this is just going to expand and get more and more dialogue going, and that's exactly cool. what it should be. That's exactly what it's for. Yeah. No, it it reminds me of was it? Uh, I think it was. It wasn't Emerson, or maybe it was. Wrote that essay, the American Scholar. Again, we have under researched. Well, it. <laughs> How can you how can you research everything? It's just a free flowing conversation. I know. I have about, no idea. About this oh, site. what's and that? How could I have known that I was going to be bringing up I that know. essay, the American scholar? And I'm recording this on my. I'm I'm skyping from my phone, so I don't really want to like. 
Oh, it was by Will Ralph Waldo Emerson. Your screen. It was Emerson. Okay, good. So Emerson, Emerson's essay, The American Scholar, he talks about one of the one of his premises in that whole thing is that you know you can you can go to school and you can take the 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 old crusty books. He says you can go to school and you can learn stuff and you can go into the old crusty books and you can just you know consume that knowledge and regurgitate it and people will think that you're intelligent but that's not real intelligence. Yeah, his oh, his yeah, thing sure. was that you should take all of this stuff that you learn and use it as the groundwork to come up with something new. Mm-hmm. Synthesize is, it. Synthesize it. Make something new. Be that is what the American scholar should do. You know, and a lot of people, they do think that's why I'm, I used to be really jealous of those people that could read something and then, you know, give you a nice, you know, clean quote about it and off the seemingly off the top of their head and and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And when I get into arguments and discussions, I tend to, you know, stitch stuff together and never quite remember a quote and generalize stuff like that. And <laughs> then some jackass goes, well, I need I need citations. Fuck you. <laughs> here's here's my citation. Go read this book and go read that book and go read that book and go read that book because I can't fucking give you a page number right now, you twat. Do, do you want an MLA fucking format too, asshole? Right. Oh, it drives or me Chicago batty. style. Which? Which one? Right. It drives me batty, some people. There, you know, there's, it's, there's actually a um, an argumentative uh, – I used to have them all on my phone as pictures um, because, you know, son of a bitch, you just needed to have them around. And I, and I've never really had a chance oh, to use them. Oh. Um, but someone took a bunch of pictures of, of referees from football games. And oh yeah. Put, it's the, the, the logical fallacy referee. Right. I love and, that guy. And one of them, of course, is, you know, you know, demanding too much evidence or, or yeah, yeah. And that's one of the, uh, the circular logic guy is my favorite. <laughs> I always do that whenever I have to teach comp. I always bring up bring the logical fallacy referee up. He's great. Right, like we have an attempted argument from silence player based their conclusion on a lack of evidence. Yes. He's like, tweet, straw man argument. Oh, here it is. We have a continuum fallacy on the field. Player required unreasonable amounts of specificity. That's oh, like, yeah. That's yeah. like, the, that's the one... Oh God, that annoys the fuck out of me <laughs> when people do that to me. But really? Do you want me to bring my whole fucking library with you and with me and show you everything I've ever fucking read? And when I make a general statement, go, who brother, said that? You will not be able to handle that. <laughs> because I will fucking whip out my God. Oh, motherfucker. I will make you read, you know, Emerson's essay. Then I will make you read every book I've read on gender. That's where I come to this thing. Oh yeah, hell yeah. Read Edward O. Wilson. You read Edward O. Wilson. Smack him in the face with a fucking not. Yeah. (laughs) You know. Oh. God. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) we've gone way off base. Lost in the bush. But yeah, so it's you know. No, we had some good points. We we had some good bullet points. I think I think this one actually was like, yep, okay, boop boop boop, yep, awesome. How did anyway. we know we were going to end up at Emerson, right? I didn't know that. So fuck research. Just have so a conversation. So we get lost in the bush. In the bush. Just have a glass of wine and fucking be as well-read as fucking we are. Cause you yeah, I'm not that to. well-read. That's the thing we have to make very, very clear. I have a certain narrow specificity of knowledge. Well, I mean, but you're well-read. I mean. I am, I am read. Okay. You've, <laughs> you've read a lot. You've read. <laughs> We have we have read a lot, both you and I have. Mm-hmm. So that was good. Was it good for you? I'm. It's good for me. Yeah. Yeah. Good. This was this was a good this. <laughs> this is, I think, my favorite one so far. Of this. Oh, nice. Of the ones we've discussed so far, this one is is my favorite. Cool. Why? Well, I think because it came with the picture of Natalie Portman. <laughs> Oh, it was, of course, the one with her and her midriff is already torn yeah, asunder. Have, yeah. Well, one, I I tend to like, you know, dark-haired women, and two, I really like the name Natalie. It's like one of my favorite lady names. 
Well, and there's no <laughs> lady parts and lady names. Lady parts and lady names. <laughs> I had a See, crush. There's another one. There's another one. On there a you go. girl in grade school named Natalie. Oh, I had a horrible um, crush on her. Oh. My my second horrible crush. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> what are you gonna do? So anyway. I think it's your I think it's your favorite because you parallel. You're so you so easily paralleled it to what you're seeing in destructive patterns in in real life. Could be. Case. It wasn't. It's not just an abstract literary exercise. True. As much as the other ones were for you. So our next one, of course, is Mother Knows Best, where we get to talk about Ripley and aliens. We do. We also talk about Beatrix Kiddo a lot. Yep. Sigourney Weaver and rocks. Katniss Everdeen. You know that Sigourney Weaver and I have the same birthday. Oh, I did not know that. We're both October 8th. Hey. Yeah, I like Sigourney Weaver. That's my that's my celebrity doppelganger. Everyone ha- has a celebrity doppelganger. <laughs> She's mine. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Which I am okay with. No shit. Because she <laughs> is a badass. Hey. I only hope I can be as hot as that when I get to be her age, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to complain about that if that happens. Not at all. No. No. Don't. So Mother Knows Best next week. Mother Knows Best. All right. Thank you. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Douche canoe. Douche canoe. <laughs> the Outrider podcast is recorded by me, Jason Quinn Malott, and cleaned up by my badass producer, Heather Ann Eden. The songs Choose and Adventure and Break and Mend used in this series are by Wichita-based band Cartwheel off their new EP, Best Days, and are used by permission of the copyright holder, Kristen Chapman. You can get Cartwheel's EP on Apple Music and Spotify, so visit them at www.cartwheel.band.